Ladies and gentlemen, and fellow golfers, for your entertainment. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa, brought to you by Hagen Oaks, America's most awarded golf facility, and Naturewood Home Furnishings, where it's all about choices and always about quality. Hello again, and uh, welcome to the Golf to Go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. I am Frank LaRosa, along with uh, my co-host Scott Marsh, and we are here to talk golf uh, for another hour. How about how you doing, Scott? Doing fantastic. Always, this is the best hour of the week, and uh, certainly looking forward to get caught up with you more in depth about uh, your great experience at the Langley at Pebble Beach. We we did have a lot of fun, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's let's talk about. Um, about who we're going to have on the show today. Dr. Rick uh, Sessinghouse is a, a, a golf performance coach. He's also Colin Morikawa's coach since he was eight years old. And so that's kind of fascinating. And uh, Rick's going to talk a little bit about how important the mind game is. But, I, you know, I love the way when uh, when he talks about it, it's, it's just not all, um, you know, this is, this is going to be difficult uh, concentration kind of stuff. When uh, if you take a look at his website, uh, flowcode.com, I think it is, or, or .golf maybe, um, it's um, you know he 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 presents everything in a in a real engaging manner, and and I, I find that you know really uh, the best way to kind of coach someone. Yeah, I'm interested in in talking with him because you know golf is considered the most mental game out there, and I think of all the sports I played, golf is certainly the most mental to me. <laughs> so I'm really interested to see how. Uh, that approach as an average golfer we can we can take obviously Colin Morikawa and his relationship with him that's one thing but what are the lessons we can take based on that experience exactly um, Steve uh, Snyders is the uh, he handles the public relations for uh, Sun Mountain Sports for the past 25 years we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about golf bags and and outerwear as well but uh, you mentioned the Langley and this was the I guess the 14th version of it. And um, for those that don't know, it's a um, it's it's named in honor of uh, Jim Langley, who was the 34 year head professional at Cypress Point and has passed on about eight years ago. Um, Jim was um, Jim was a special kind of a guy. And um, I remember the first time I interviewed him about the Langley and he says, I don't think anybody will know what a Langley is. And uh, he just had that kind of self-effacing personality. But in his name over the years, we've had Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus and Johnny Miller and uh, Lee Trevino and, uh, or excuse me, uh, uh, Ken Venturi, um, um, Sandy Tatum. I mean, it, Billy Casper. It's just, you know, it, all, all the names in golf. And this year, uh, it was Annika Sorenstam and Huey Lewis. And, boy, you talk about two people, you know, with, with kind of different personalities. Um, but... Um, when they kind of got on stage, uh, it was it was kind of tough to distinguish, you know, which one was the golfer and which was the entertainer. They were they were both having so much fun. It was really very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Huey Lewis, of course, one of the great all time performers. And Annika, we we spoke to her on the show uh, last week, and we, we know she's the greatest female golfer of all time. But she certainly has settled into that role of being a great golf ambassador, and uh, obviously that was a real treat. Yeah, so I was able to interview her and uh, Huey again out, out on the balcony uh, at Spanish Bay. The, the wind was up, it was overcast, and uh, she was a trooper. She was wearing a dress, and uh, it was a little bit chilly out there, but uh, we managed to get, uh, you know, about six minutes from each of them, and, and we'll be playing 
those interviews coming up here as well. You know, I, I found it um, really fun kind of watching her with her family, um, her, her son and daughter, husband, and um, I think it was the husband's sister, and maybe, um, and there was one other person, and and I forget the relationship at this point, but they were all playing Pebble Beach and just having the greatest time, and uh, this was the day after the uh, the dinner and uh, and uh, fireside chat, and to watch her nine-year-old son, who's a left-handed swinger like you, Scott. Yeah, uh, I wish yeah. I had a swing like his, I'm sure. Oh, boy, I tell you, he, uh, on the first hole, his second shot was like uh, six six or eight inches from, from the hole. So that was that was a tap-in. Um, but, you know, she was a lot of fun. And um, she obviously remembered that we had, had talked the week before. And we found a couple of different things to talk about. But... Um, um yeah uh, Annika Sorenstam is um is as you say the greatest woman golfer that ever played the game and um and I think now a friend of the golf to go radio hour yeah we we consider her part of the family so that's fantastic look forward to hearing from her again and uh you know that's what makes golf so fun even like the greatest golfer of them all just seeing them be with their family and enjoying a game that all of us can enjoy right yeah, it makes you realize that we're all we're all really the same at the core. Uh, Huey Lewis was uh, was incredibly funny. Um, he, uh, as many people know, has lost his hearing. He wears hearing aids, and and uh, as we were sitting, probably uh, two feet apart for our interview, it was fine. He could hear me, but you get a little bit beyond that, and he's got a little, um, um, you know, kind of a microphone set up that. Um, that if you talk into it, it goes directly to his hearing aids, and and he doesn't doesn't have any problem talking about it. And uh, as as he said uh, during the Langley that night, he said, "I'm deaf, not dead." You know, there's a big difference in that one one that one letter. So um, he was he was really cool. And he and Peter Jacobson, who was the um, the host of the event, have been friends and and partners in the AT and T for a long time. So a, a lot of that came up in in. Uh, in their discussion on stage as well. Well, they talk about a star-studded night. That is fabulous. It's uh, one of the best venues for golf in the world. And you couldn't be it for a cause for one of the great causes and uh, certainly in honor of one of the great instructors ever in the game. Absolutely. So we will come back uh, in a moment after these messages with uh, interviews with, uh, with Annika and Huey. We'll probably just play those back-to-back. And then we'll be back with uh, Dr. Rick Sussinghouse. And who knows what else will come up on the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports, 1140. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa. We are at the 14th annual of the Langley. I'm really excited to introduce the heart of rock and roll. Mr. Huey Lewis is with us, an honoree tonight. Huey, thanks for being with us so much. Nice to be here, Frank. You know, Peter Jacobson can pick up the phone and call his friend Huey Lewis, and, and here you are. Uh, this is a golf event. I guess that's why you're here. You kind of love golf. I love golf, and I love Peter, and I love this place, and this was a no-brainer for me. I'm honored to, flattered to be, you know, in, in the company of Annika Sorenstam and, and, and so many other people here. When's the first time you put a golf club in your hand? Actually, I started late in life. Uh, yeah, 83, I was in Hawaii uh, to get married, and my mother-in-law was there, and they wanted to lay out in the sun. I said, I don't want to lay out in the sun. Uh, and I, took, I went up to Kapalua and rented clubs and played golf and was hooked. It does that, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> um, 
What, what is it about the game? I mean, we all have, you know, we all have this sort of indescribable attraction to it. What is it for you? Well, it, it's, it's really more than a game, isn't it? I mean, it, it's a sport, sort of. It's a game, sort of. But it's really a pastime, you know, and it's, it's everything else, uh, all the intangibles. You're outside, especially if you're a celebrity, you're, nobody bothers you. You just got four people there. There's no phones. Uh, there's just so many wonderful things about the game. And, of course, it's a game of integrity, you know, and, and, uh, um, and it's also as competitive as you want it to be. Should you try to master the game, good luck. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. Sport brings me, uh, you know, brings up another subject. Uh, music, obviously, is, uh, is, you know, so important in your life. Where did the music come from? Where was, was it an instrument? Was it the songwriting? Um, where did it, where did yeah, it come well, from? Yeah, well, my dad was a jazz, uh, was a doctor, but his hobby was jazz music. He played drums and piano, and we had set up, he had a set of drums set up in the, in the living room, and we there was music around the house all the time. So, uh, but when I I first started playing, I never played until uh, high school, and I, I took up uh, I hitchhiked back and forth from my prep school in New Jersey to California, and I took a harmonica because it kind of fit the image, <laughs> and I played by the side of the road and just uh, continued. Harder rock and roll. When, when you think about the career you've had, which is, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, what stands out? It, it, it's hard to pick things out of, out of a person's life and, and, and legacy. But, you know, if, if, if I were going to say I want to remember Huey Lewis this way, what would you want me to say? Uh, well, uh, I'd like you to say that he was a scratch golfer, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, no, um, you know, the thing I'm proudest of is we kind of, we did our, our, we, we, we did it ourselves as a band. We're all from Northern California here, uh, you know, north of here, but here. And um, uh, in those days, you really had to go to L.A. and be produced by somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, but we resisted that because we, we wanted to have commercialism on our own terms. And so we insisted on producing ourselves and writing most of the songs, and, and figuratively as, as well as literally staying out of Hollywood. And we managed to do that and have, have, have a lot of success. And, uh, uh, you know, it's probably the thing I'm, I'm proudest of. Yeah, a lot of success is right. You mentioned Annika Sorenstam. She and you are both honorees of, uh, of the Langley this year. Um, uh, Jim Langley was, uh, was a person that, you know, beyond reproach. He, he, was, uh, he was the most incredible human being I think I've ever met. Um, and here you are being honored in his name uh, and raising money at the same time. So you're here to have fun and raise some money and do some good. That that's a pretty good day's work there. Uh, it's I'm flattered to be to be mentioned with Annika Sorenstam or Jim Langley for that matter. So I mean I've done nothing to deserve this honor <laughs> except except love the game of golf, you know. And um, uh, I'm a fan, and that's uh, really the excitement. This is I'm excited for for those reasons. Tell us, uh, tell us a secret about Peter Jacobson. We don't know. <laughs> well, uh, I call him Peter. I can help you with that, Jacobson. <laughs> and he's wonderful to play with as long as you play good. But as soon as you hit a, make a bad swing, I can help you oh, with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, I'll remember not to play with it. He can't help himself. <laughs> Pebble Beach tomorrow. Uh, tonight uh, we're going to have dinner, and uh, Peter's going to interview you. We're going to talk a little about your career. As I hope I we have enough time, because 
whenever Peter and I play golf together or whenever we're around, oftentimes we, we play together and we say, who are we playing with? I said, it doesn't matter as long as they're good listeners. As I said, we are raising money for the PGA Foundation and uh, PGA Hope and, and Huey Lewis. What a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate you being here. You bet. Thanks. This is the Langley 2022. You should be here next year. 2022 edition of the Langley honors Annika Sorenstam, the greatest woman player that ever played. Annika, it's what a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. You know, you uh, there's a, a long line of, of um, incredible people that uh, that you are following, from <laughs> Arnold Palmer to Jack Nicklaus and Tom Watson, and, and many of your friends. Really, um, how's it feel to to be in that same company? Oh, it's uh, a little bit unreal, but I'm uh, very flattered. I'm very honored. Um, you know, it's great to be here at Pebble and obviously be part of a great, great event and, uh, you know, to recognize uh, Mr. Langley for what he's done, but also, you know, to raise some money for good charity and be able to give back. So I feel very fortunate to be able to share this special place with my family and other people that have joined us. You know, other times when you've been here, it's been as a, as a competitor. <laughs> and uh, so this is a, a time for you to relax while you're at Pebble Beach. Is, is, it, does it feel different doing it that way? Yeah, you know, this time I got my family and uh, we have played the hay and obviously we get a chance to play Pebble Beach and it's going to just be special to share this wonderful place with my family. You know, nowadays it's more about them and the experience that they were having together. And uh, this particular trip, we also bring my husband's uh, mother, Jill, and his sister, Michelle. This is a bucket list for them. And, you know, I've been fortunate to come here, but not a lot of people have. And to be able to share something like this with somebody for the first time is uh, its just amazing. I mean, it is such a special place. And, uh, you know, golf takes us to so many places. So, yeah, we're going to cherish every moment. That's great. You know, you and I had a chance to talk uh, a few days ago on the radio, but I asked you a question that it just, you know, I, I, I was fascinated by your answer because as... As fans, you know, we know that you've won 72 times in the LPGA Tour. You've won 10 majors. You're the first woman to shoot 59 in competition. And, and, and the accolades go on and on and on. And, and for us, it's just wow. And, and from, from you, do you ever have the time to just kind of go... Wow, you know that was that was kind of an interesting career. <laughs> I do. I mean, I look back and I, um, I always say I have to pinch myself. I've been very fortunate to, to play a game that I really it was just a hobby, something I enjoyed doing, and then I took it to the next level and played college golf, and then you know made it my profession, and now it's become really a dream come true and be able to live golf. Um, every day and be able to share it with family and friends and fans uh, around the world it's been you know it's been unreal but I'm very thankful and uh, as we know golf is a game for life and to come here and be part of it is is very special and uh, yeah I mean I wouldn't want to change a thing I'm very (laughs) happy about it and you know you know my big goal now is to be able to give back to the younger generation and hopefully inspire some others to fulfill their dream. We're here today uh, to, uh, to to have some fun, obviously, mm-hmm. and to raise some, some funds for PGA Hope and, uh, you know, help some veterans kind of assimilate back into life. And um, um, that's got to mean something to you as well. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think, you know, we take life for granted and then I think there are moments like this when you look back and you really appreciate other people's sacrifices and the commitment they do to this country. So, you know, whatever little thing we can do to, to make a difference, to be able to uh, help these veterans come back into life, what they've gone through is something that I will never understand, but we certainly appreciate it. So uh, we hope to raise a lot of money. Hopefully they feel the love and the support and we can, you know, change and, um, and really feel like we're doing something to give back. 
you're not a stranger to charity. You've, you've played in, in many LPGA tournaments mm -hmm. that have a, a charity aspect, but you yourself have your own Annika Foundation, which, uh, um, tell us a little bit about that. I do. I mean, that was my way to say thank you and give back to the younger girls out there and to inspire the next generation, whether I'm, you know, sharing my knowledge or sharing my passion and do something, because I remember what it was like to be a young girl growing up and having a dream and not really knowing what to do. So we provide playing opportunities around the world. We actually have seven global tournaments, and we have over 600 girls that play in our events every year. Many has gone on to play on the LPGA or even the Epson Tour, and, you know, we give out an award to inspire the best collegiate golfers. So uh, it's been, I mean, I feel very fortunate to be able to spot to do it, and I get energized. I get, um, I mean, I enjoy meeting the girls and hopefully share stories and and if they, anyone can live their dream like I am, I think it's been a success. Well, you know, and, and the, uh, the ovation that you got when you walked in here, <laughs> you know, it, it just, you know, you were, you were recognizable, you were, you know, you were a global icon, and, and, and you're a mom, you know. And, yeah. and to, to be able to put all those things together, it just takes a special kind of woman, I think. Well, thank you. I, um, you know, I, I enjoy being a mom, the next chapter in life, but I also enjoy being an entrepreneur, a philanthropist in, in different ways, and just be an ambassador of golf. I mean, if it wasn't for golf, I wouldn't be here. So um, I feel very fortunate, and so I am thankful for the support, and I'm thankful for all the love, and, and I, just, I think it inspires me more to, to be able to give back and, and uh, grow this game of golf. I love it. We will continue to do this. We will have some fun. We will raise some money, and we'll have a good evening, and you and your family will play, play, play Pebble Beach tomorrow. I knew I could get that out. <laughs> so it's going to be yeah. a, a good time. Thank you for being with us. No, thank you very much. appreciate it very much. Annika Sorenstam, this is the Langley 14th edition, 2022. You should be here next year. <laughs> It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa. Golf to Go Radio Hour continues here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Hi, I'm Frank LaRosa along with Scott Marsh. And uh, very, very excited. Uh, our next guest is Dr. Rick Sessinghouse. He's a member of the PGA. He's also ambassador for the TaylorMade Company. He's a uh, mental game certified as well. Uh, he's a director of the Flow Code Golf Academy, lifelong swing and golf mental coach for Colin Morikawa. He was uh, one of Golf Tips Magazine's top 25 instructors in America, and he's the uh, Flow Code uh, Master Coach. And, and uh, the reason I introduced him as doctor, he's got a master's and doctorate degrees in applied sports psychology. Rick, welcome to the show. Do you have enough hours in the day? <laughs> Thank you, but uh, no, it's, uh, but I'm, I'm very passionate about golf, so keep learning and I uh, want my students to learn also. We had a chance to meet a number of years ago when you were out for the uh, PGA teaching forum here for the Northern California PGA, and I was fascinated with uh, with your presentation and uh, have been trying to to get you on the show, and I'm I'm glad we were able to do it for today. Definitely. So, Rick, what what is a golf performance coach? What 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 is your role? Um, you know, in 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 the life of the in in the world of the golf. Sure. Yeah, I think when I first became a, a PGA coach back 28 years ago, uh, I think most of us looked at it as a swing coach, putting coach, mechanics, right? Is let's get better fundamentals, let's get the ball going where we want to. And of course, that's vital. As I got into the business more and more and saw students that were not always um, shooting lower scores, even though their golf swings looked better, I was always intrigued with that. So that's when I went down the mental game rabbit hole and went back to school of going, huh, why is this player in a lesson? They look great. And I give them one little thing and they're hitting it straight. And then they come back the two weeks later and go, Rick, I still couldn't break 80 
or whatever. And I go, wait a second, that swing looked like it could break 70. Um, so I was very intrigued with um, performance from that standpoint, and I call it state management, is what was the state of the golfer out on the golf course? Were they calm and focused and confident, or were they nervous and distracted and doubt and fearful, right? And then that's going to affect our golf swing. It's going to affect our tempo and our grip pressure and all those things that we sometimes gloss over because we're trying to teach perfect mechanics or fundamentals. So that went down even other rabbit holes where we get into like hydration and eating and sleeping and recovery and stress management. And uh, so performance is, are we feel like we're getting the most out of our skill set? And I think now we look at data, we look at a bunch of different apps and all these type of things. And we now have uh, 3D vests and all these things to help us with the end goal is to perform better. So I think a performance coach to me is like um, a big old puzzle. And I, I try to put all the puzzle pieces together. Finding the right person to to fix your ills is is certainly part of the problem. And when you when you uh, add all of those different aspects that that you're looking at that, you know, it's it's. It's certainly your job is not easy, I'm guessing. Oh, not at all. And, and I, I don't want it to come across that I take care of all those puzzle pieces. But right. sometimes as a as a performance coach, I'm kind of the hub that helps all these other coaches come together and being on teams of very good juniors, college players and and some tour players. You start figuring out that there's some really like expert coaches in certain niches in certain areas and like even like ground force for instance i know very little about it but there's some experts that can help you hit the ball 20 yards further if you use the ground better well they're the expert at that and so i think we're starting to see a lot more specialty in in the in the coaching business uh, which is both good and bad it's how do you get through all that information um, so it doesn't become overwhelming for a golfer. And I think that's where a performance coach can help navigate. You know, you talk about um, about uh, someone on the range, and, and I'm like second team All-American on the range and, and find <laughs> it difficult to, to take it to the course, you know. And um, so as as the the art of coaching um, golf swing uh, or, a, or a player continues to evolve, it would seem to me that, that that mental aspect is going to be more and more important. I mean, even if you have a horrible swing, if you believe that you can, you know, hit that ball from the fairway to the green, you, you have a better chance of doing it. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And again, I'm biased to, to say, you know, that the mental game is 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 vital. Um, I ask every new student or if you give I give a seminar, I ask the same three questions. Do you believe the mental game is important? Everybody says yes. I said, do you train the mental game? Everybody says no. And then so the third question is, well, what is the mental game? So when we look at taking those skills out on the golf course, I do want to help somebody focus on what's relevant in that moment. Be confident, like you mentioned. Do I actually believe I can hit the shot in front of me or not? And then the other part where I come more of that state management, how is my physical body experiencing that moment? Is it calm and relaxed or is it tense and stressed? Yes, we're going to use some of these tools uh, in routines and breathing and visualization and different things to help somebody get closer to that. I'm not saying you're going to be in a flow state all the time, but we certainly have routines that we can train just like you train your swing that will give us a better opportunity to stay focused and confident and calm out there. You know, I was I was fascinated by um, a paragraph on your website, and I'm going to read it because I think you know, if if people are listening to the show and, and they happen not to play golf, th there's something to learn here because uh, it, it reads every individual, whether on the playing field or in the boardroom, 
is looking to improve performance. It may be closing more sales, delivering influential sales presentations, creating cohesive teams, or thriving under pressure. Everyone is performing every day and faces challenges and fierce competition. That You haven't left anybody out. Well, no. And, and again, that's part of my passion is that, yes, I, view, I am very much in golf. Uh, I do corporate speaking. I do some other things. But we know as golfers that golf is kind of a metaphor for life. Um, it is life, but you know, we're an individual out there trying to perform and we have people watching and there's a lot of things that could stress us out. But even in our careers, giving those presentations and being calm and composed, or am I, am I going to choke? Am I going to be under pressure? And then I don't perform well. Well, the same tools can be utilized, whether it's on the golf course or in the as I say, the boardroom. And some people, they, they work on their skills. They work on their like, oh, I need to be a better, let's say, financial analyst. And they'll do all the reading and all the education, but they're not really honing in the skill of, present, of presenting and state management and being able to communicate. And those are different skills that I think are over, overlooked until it's too late. And as you had mentioned earlier, I think before we, we started today, we we're talking about, about, about practice and, and how important it is and um, as you say, to hone the mental game is is equally important. How, how do we go about doing that? <laughs> yeah, there's there's many things. But even if we said focus is a key skill of the mental game, am I paying attention to this present moment or am I distracted? Right. I think in the last few years, more people are open to mindfulness or meditation or breathing tools to help them at least for like a minute or so. Can you just focus on breath? Sounds like it's a simple thing, but it's really not. And then how quickly can you get back to breath? We're always going to get distracted. So mindfulness is about paying attention to the present moment in a non-judgmental way. Well, we need to do that on the golf course because we judge ourselves all the time and we're, and we're distracted. So breathing and certain things we can do off the golf course, there's tons of apps, there's tons of things that could help us do that. But then on the golf course, right, in our routine, in that 20 to 30 seconds ahead of time, what are you doing with that time? Are you focusing on what you don't want? Are you, are you focusing on, hey, I'm going to make a smooth tempo like I did um, on the range at 80% speed, and I'm going to focus on my target with a clear shot tracer? Am I, those things are choices, and we can start to develop those in our routines on a range also. You've used the word tempo a couple of times already, and uh, I think we forget how important that is. You know, we, we, we look at a shot and forget that the club is designed to help us get the ball there. But, you know, it's maybe just a little out of our range, so we're going to swing a little harder because that's going to that's gonna make it work, right? <laughs> and, and we lose that all-important tempo. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with nowadays with all the technology and now everybody's on social media showing perfect golf swings, I think what is lost is the tempo, the rhythm, the balance that requires because it really is about a sequence of mo motions, right? And so the correct sequence is actually what makes a great golf swing. Part of that, the glue that holds that together is the tempo. And if I now get on that course to say, oh, let me give it a little extra, I always ask my players, when was the last time you practiced on the range that little extra? Well, never. I go, well, then how do you expect <laughs> to hit a good shot if it's a shot you don't even practice? I understand if you said, hey, I have practiced that hard seven iron before. I go, okay, maybe I'll, I'll give, cut you some slack. But it's interesting that our ego gets in the way and stuff like that. But if we just practice swinging an iron at 80% and that was our go-to and just take an extra club, but under pressure and under stress, we either get quick we, our ego gets in the way. We try harder. And that's part of the mental side. 
You know, you're making my brain hurt. I mean, this is this is all really, really good stuff. Scott, what do you think? Jump in here. Well, I was I was happy when you booked this interview because Rick, I'm a true mental uh, you know, case out on the golf course. So you're perfect for me. And uh Frank, by the way, is a first team all-American on the driving range. I can attest to that because I've seen him many times. But uh, what I want to delve into a little bit, and obviously it's not something that as average golfers, we can really relate to, but talk about working with Colin Morikawa and exactly how that process is, because he seems the most put together golfer on the PGA Tour right now in terms of his ability to be calm and stay in the moment and, and hit the shots that he does. Yeah, no, and I've been extremely fortunate. I've been his coach since he's eight years old. So we have a long history and he's 25 now. So seeing him through junior golf, college golf, amateur golf, and now professional at the highest level, um, it is a testament to his work ethic, to his, his parents, the, the parents that helped raise him. Um, and, and yet the different pressures that come along, he has handled them quite, quite well. Um, and, you know, super proud of, of what he does. And a lot of it is the, the daily things of how he practices and how he stays composed. And, and I think that there are challenges with all players, though, that, you know, we have expectations too. So he's now got to this really, really high level. How do you keep that? Right. And, and that's a tough thing to do now. Um, and with those players out there that shot their first 79 and broke 80, oh, now I expect to do it all the time. That could be a double-edged sword. Right. So, you know, with Colin, um, certainly being the swing coach, I look, you know, I know his patterns uh, being a, a mental games and with his caddy and stuff, we have, we create a, a team environment to where, yeah, we want him to play his best um, and might be a lot of, and he has a, a trainer, right? We, we have a team to help him perform his best. Um, and I think that's what I don't expect all the 18 handicappers out there to have a team, but you do need to do some stretching. You do need to do some things to help you out uh, as you go along, but it's been, it's been obviously a, a wonderful ride um, to be on. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And uh, you know, one area we haven't talked about a lot, we're talking about swings, but to me, the most nerve wracking part of the game is putting. And, you know, with, with Colin, that might be the one area where I can't say he struggled because he's been so great, but if there's one area of his game that he's looking sure. to improve upon the, the most is there, what would you suggest for somebody who's getting over a ball trying to hit a 10 foot putt to, to low, lower the scores? Is the procedure the same as just the, the golf swing itself? Well, as much as I like to say yes, but I, I've had this discussion with so many different level players where we teach them a pre-shot routine, let's say with a driver, and certainly they want to hit the fairway, but if they hit, if they miss it into the rough, they go, ah, okay, I'm in the rough. Now, obviously, if you hit it in somebody's backyard and it's OB, I get that part. But a miss in a driver doesn't always equate into a bogey. Right. You missing the 10-footer for par is automatic bogey. And so there's a, 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 we'll say, a bigger consequence, if that makes sense. And sometimes with putting, because it's too much looked upon as success failure, that that in and of itself now creates a, an issue because, oh my gosh, if I miss this, then I make bogey. If I make bogey and the mind races a little bit. Um, so I think the routine should be the same is like, I'm looking at this. What's the speed I want to hit this ball at based on that speed? How much break am I going to play? Where's the ball going to enter the cup? Those are all what we call present based questions. Sometimes we think about what the putt's worth. And then that creates a little consequence, a little risk, a little fear. And that can interfere with uh, our performance. Putting, we know, is is very feel-oriented. Speed is vital. But if I get tense, oh, I'm going to change the club face a little. I'm going to change the energy. So even though I like to say it's the same routine, I know people's attitude towards putting is a little different because of the finality of it. 
We try to get them back to process, try to get them back to reading a green. Where's it going to enter? What's the speed you want to hit it at? See, and trying to get people again back to what's in their control. Absolutely. I want to make sure we we get out the website. It's just simply your website, Rick Sessing House. It's S-E-S-S-I-N-G-H-A-U-S. Want to make sure people spell that Thank correctly you. listening on the, the radio here. But there's a lot of great information up there and, and, and a lot to uh, able to contact you and use you as a resource. No, I appreciate that. I have a company called Flow Code Golf Academy and we do a lot of mental game stuff online. So flowcode.golf is the website there. And uh, we love sharing with every level player and coaches uh, about bringing these mental game skills to your game. Rick, um, you know, the, um, it, it, I suppose uh, as, as golfers, we're always looking for the easy fix. And, um, and, and after playing the game as long as most of us have, we should realize there is no easy fix. And, and um, it's, it's, you, you mentioned so many things, you know, um, um, nutrition and sleep and rest and, and how do you recover and all of those things that, you know, we don't, it doesn't even come to mind. And so um, I, I'm guessing that you don't, you don't want these things to be people, uh, uh, subjects people have to think about and kind of concentrate on, but, but get to a point in their lives where they become just, just everyday occurrences. Exactly. I mean, we, we, one of my passions is we want to perform better in life. And with that, you want energy, right? You need energy, you got to sleep well, you got to eat well, you got to do the things that's going to help you with that. And there's focus and all those type of things. So yeah, we want these to be daily habits. We want these to be part of who you are. Um, so it's a better version of yourself. And yes, I happen to use golf as kind of that metaphor and able to you really make an impact on junior golfers in college to try create some of those life skill habits, uh, getting to bed at 11 o'clock instead of three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, those little things that uh, some of these uh, college players tend to revert and then they wonder why they don't play well. Right. So I'm trying to give them the, the whole idea of what's going to affect their performance. And they can certainly choose, pick and choose which ones. But you're exactly right. We want them to be more like daily habits. We're talking with Rick Sessinghouse. He's a golf performance coach. He is the uh, director of the Flow Code Academy, and um, I, I'm just fascinated uh, uh, by everything that you've had to say today, and I'll be spending a little time on your website as well and, and trying to figure out how I can uh, bring some of this into my game because, uh, you know, I, I think you reach a point, um, especially as, as you get older, um, we, we become uh, creatures of habit with our golf game, and so where can we improve? I think it's in the mind, right? I, I do. I mean, we sometimes because of time constraints, we don't have time to hit balls every single day. But could we look at that 30 seconds before we hit a golf shot as a, as a new experience of doing some breathing visualization ways to, you know, monitor that? I think we, we all can do that. Dr. Rick uh, Sussinghouse, uh, he said it all and uh, take a look at uh, his websites. And I think you're going to enjoy what you see. Rick, appreciate you being with us. And uh, we'll have to have you back because I know you got a lot more to tell us. <laughs> Thank you so much. Be well. Bye-bye. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa. We are back here on the Golf to Go Radio Hour. I'm Frank LaRosa along with Scott Marsh, and this is Sacktown Sports 1140. Uh, Steve Snyders is a, a gentleman I've known for a number of years. I uh, met him at the PGA show in Orlando, I think, the first time. But uh, Steve uh, handles all the public relations for the Sun Mountain Sports Company, and he's, uh, I guess you could say he passed his, his rookie um, uh, season because he's been there for 25 years. Hi, Steve. How are you? 
Hi, Frank. I'm great. How are you? You know, I'm doing well. And anytime you get to sit down and talk to some old friends about golf, you know, life is pretty good. Indeed. You know, I, I years ago, I think back to, um, you know, to the first time I heard about Sun Mountain and, and certainly it was, um, it was probably about a golf bag, but, but I heard a word that uh, was, was starting to become popular, I guess, but I, I think maybe Sun Mountain was the first time I'd ever heard the word ergonomic. And um, when, when I heard it in relation to the way your golf bags were designed, I was kind of fascinated. And um, over the course of the years, your design team just continues to make things user-friendly, um, basically, you know, that, which is sort of the uh, kind of the uh, street version of what uh, ergonomic might mean. But um, uh, it, it, everything is where it's supposed to be. And some things I haven't thought of, but I find that they're there as well. Congratulations to the team in doing so. Well, thank you. And I think that just goes back to the heritage of the company being golfers that are designing things for golfers. So, you know, you go out on the golf course and you start reaching for things or you try to pick your bag up or set it down and, and just constantly striving to find a more efficient way of doing it. One of the things that's always impressed me is that um, not only do you do you have a spot for your water bottle and valuables and things like that in the bags, but um, but but they wear well. Um, they're they're very well made, and I don't know that I've ever had a Sun Mountain bag that you know that something tore or a pocket ripped off or anything like that. It uh, it's it's really high quality stuff. There's no question, you know, a lot of thought goes into every little aspect of it. You know, if it's the zipper or the the hood around the top of the zipper pull or the fabric, you know, not only does it have to be durable, but it has to be able to deal with a lot of exposure to sun and UV rays. And, you know, a lot of thought goes into it. And then, you know, like protecting graphite shafts or, you know, making sure that the handles don't get um, stuck together at the bottom of the bag. I mean, there's a lot of thought that goes into things. And, you know, the hope is that when the golfer is using it, they don't have to think about it. It just all happens very naturally. There we go with ergonomic again. Um, you know, you you have a full range of golf bags, from uh, cart bags to stand bags and carry bags. And uh, I've I've just I've also been fascinated by the fact that, um, like your C one thirty holds, you know, probably provisions for people for a week, uh, you know, in the mountains. But and then on the other end, you've got a bag uh, called the two point five, which is uh, maybe the lightest uh, carry bag other than a Sunday bag that I've ever seen. Um, Again, you know, does, uh, kudos to the design team, but, you know, what, what goes into deciding that you're going to make, you know, bags along that entire spectrum? I think it's because there's golfers along that entire spectrum. You know, there are minimalist golfers that they want to carry as light a bag as possible, as few clubs as possible, and they walk all the time. And then there are people that want everything but the kitchen sink, they ride in a cart all the time. And then there are people that fill spots all in between there. And so it really comes down to listening to the customers and, and designing bags with features that people are asking for. You know, Scott, I know you like to, you like to walk, but you, you also like to push, uh, you know, use a push cart for, for your bag, but I've seen you carry as well. So, you know, to find that kind of flexibility in, in, uh, in their line of bags is, is really important. Yeah, no, it's really important. I, I do like to walk a lot, and, and certainly your issue has, as it pertains to weight is a big one, and, you know, I, I think that's something that, uh, you know, some mountains particularly done a great job with in terms of the design with the bags. That's one thing I've really enjoyed. 
So um, what is with, with I don't know how many bags you've got, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to guess about eight or nine different designs and I'm probably low. But what's the most popular bag in the line? What's the one that's always selling out? Well, the C-130 is the most popular cart bag, as, as you were mentioning earlier. And then the most popular carry bag is usually kind of an in-betweener. So, you know, the 2.5 is the lightest, and that serves a particular audience. And the 4.5 is the heaviest, and, and that serves an audience that, you know, wants to carry their bag, but they want to have everything with them as well. And in between that is the 3.5. So, you know, the, the carry bags, it's, it's spread out across all three of those, but probably the three, five tends to sell the most on the carry bags and the C-130 the most on the cart bags. You know, in the design of, of carry bags over the years that you, you maybe had um, four different pockets. And uh, now we seem to be, uh, people want to keep their clubs separate. You know, I don't know whether that's because of the graphite shafts or, or, you know, they want the heads banging around when they walk, but um, uh, now the 14 way bags seem really popular. You know, I think it's one of those, you know, there's some people that love them, some people that hate them, and it seems like there's not a lot in between. But there's been enough demand for it that Sun Mountain keeps adding 14-way dividers to more and more bags to the point that, you know, now the 2.5, which is the lightest carry bag, has a 14-way divided top option. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it used to be that it was really, you know, the, the bigger cart bags, like the C-130, came standard with the 14-way divided top, but now even the lightest bag in the line has it. And it's not the only way to get the 2.5, but for those that, that like their clubs to all be in the same place at the same time so they know what they're grabbing for, uh, there's an audience for it. When um, when your customers talk to you about about bags, what what is the, uh, the most popular um, feature that they're looking for? Does it start with weight or does it start with pockets or... What is it? I think it generally comes down to pockets. You know, if there's a pocket for this, you know, how you access that pocket. You know, again, part of the trick with product design is that people don't even think about it. You know, the idea would be that you're carrying your clubs, but it, everything happens so naturally um, that you don't think about it because it doesn't cause you to stop and think, well, I wish this was better or I wish I could get to that. So the, the hope is to always you know, limit the number of things people can point out, but I think, you know, pockets, where pockets are and what pockets hold is probably, uh, you know, a, definitely a popular topic. And you know, they come with rain hoods and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you're finding ingenious ways to, to hide those things now, because we, we all, we would take them out of the bags as, you know, in the early days and then lose them and <laughs> it'd come rain time. And, you know, you'd be putting a, a trash bag over, over your clubs. <laughs> There's no doubt, you know, we ship all the bags with a, a matching rain hood in the pocket. And I'm always curious how many of those stay there and for what period of time. Yeah, I tend to leave mine in the pocket because, it, like you say, if you don't, you take it out and then you don't have it when you need it. And uh, I figure it doesn't add that much weight. But, you know, if you're a, a minimalist, that's definitely a, you know, a something. If you have a two and a half pound bag, you know, the rain hood does end up adding to that. You know, you you also uh, the company also makes push carts, incredible push carts and, and travel bags. And I know you were a gold medal winner a couple of years back on the Golf Digest list with your travel bag. But um, I've always been fascinated with your outerwear. Um, you know, it's it's some of the lightest and quietest uh, outerwear I've ever worn. And uh, at the same time, it's it's very warm as well. Where does the uh, where does the impetus for that come from? 
I think it's the same thing that, that drives the golf bag design, and that is golfers designing things for golfers. So while the outerwear has great application off of the course, you know, I live in Montana where Sun Mountain's based, and, and I wear my outerwear cross-country skiing and biking and, and all kinds of things that aren't on the golf course. But first and foremost, it's it's made for use on the golf course, which means that, you know, that it stretches and flexes with you as you're swinging, either the pockets are in the right spot. So if you've got your scorecard in your pocket, you know, you're not pinching that against your chest on your swing, you know, this, these little things that, that go unnoticed because uh, when, when everything's done right, uh, you just kind of forget you have it on. <laughs> it never occurred to me that someone would have looked at where the scorecard goes uh, in, in your chest pocket. What, what, that's fascinating. Uh, <laughs> you know, kudos to, to, to that team. Um, you have a couple of different levels of, um, of outerwear as well. You know, we, we actually in Sacramento here or Northern California, we're probably not looking at outerwear until, you know, maybe, uh, maybe November, December, January, somewhere in there. But, um, so we have time to think about it, but, but take us through the line. Well, it's basically divided into thermal, wind, and rain. So those are the, the main categories. You have items to keep you warm. You have items to keep the wind off. And you have items that are, that are waterproof. Um, and the price points vary across that whole line. And there's men's and women's, you know, everything from the, the packable rain suit that you can stick in your golf bag and forget about to, you know, a higher end waterproof, breathable, flexible, stretchable, you know, something that uh, for the person that plays in wet and damp weather more often. We're talking with Steve Snyder. He handles the public relations for uh, Sun Mountain Sports, uh, maker of uh, really, really fine golf bags. You know, you, you mentioned a moment ago that you're in Missoula, Montana. You're a, you're a USA company making USA products. And um, uh, that, that's got to be kind of fun for not only you, but the entire staff, I'm guessing. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. There's a lot of pride in that. You know, you, you go out to the warehouse and there's people building golf bags every day. And, you know, you go out on the course here. It's, it's kind of a tough market to judge because everybody out here is pushing a Sun Mountain speed cart <laughs> and carrying a Sun Mountain bag. But there's definitely a lot of pride that goes into that. And, um, you know, it's, it's an unusual location for a golf company but it uh, has been here since the early eighties and it's worked out quite well. That's fascinating. Uh, again, this is uh, Steve Snyder's from, uh, from Sun Mountain Sports. As I mentioned, the, the company has uh, incredible push carts and uh, travel bags as well. And uh, you know, I think maybe uh, right after golf bags, the, the push carts was, uh, was my introduction to the company. And so I want to get you back at some point to talk about those as well and uh, appreciate you spending some time with us today, Steve. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It's always good to talk to you. It is good to catch up and uh, who knows, maybe we'll catch up at another PGA show. I hope so. Scott, that wraps up another hour on uh, the golf to go radio hour on Sacktown sports, 1140. I, uh, I really enjoyed listening to, to Huey and Annika, but, uh, but the notion that, um, that uh, apparently the key to our games is in our heads and, and not in our irons uh, was, was kind of fascinating to me as well. It was great to listen to him. I just hope I can take it out to the course break. <laughs> we will find out. I'm sure we'll, uh, we may even know before, before next week's show. <laughs> this is the golf to go radio hour on Sacktown sports, 1140. Please join us again next week. I'm Frank LaRosa along with Scott Mars. See you next time.